Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. We have a brilliant episode for you today with a remarkable guest, actor, singer, and songwriter, Lauren De Miranda joins the show. With some of the most unforgettable guests, you often hear me say, I felt like I'd known them for years. But today, it's the opposite. It's someone who I've luckily known for years, going back to my days in college at Arizona State University. Lauren is a half-Cuban actor, singer, and songwriter, born and raised in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and currently residing in Los Angeles. Growing up, her first love was ballet. Beginning at the age of two, she performed The Nutcracker 16 years consecutively. The genesis of her music career began while she was a teenager. As she described feeling helpless and out of control, she discovered the power of music through artists like Ben Harper. And shortly after, she began songwriting. Her debut album, New Life, received national airplay and placements on MTV and the video game Audition. She's been chosen as a featured artist on Kids Bop and is open for Pat Benatar, Gavin DeGraw, and The Gin Blossoms. On screen, she's appeared in music video, film, and was part of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Incredibly talented woman with many diverse interests, which made for an outstanding conversation. On today's episode, you'll hear about the evolution of her artistic career and how she describes her unique sound. Lauren also talks about imposter syndrome and how, in a way, she's been able to weaponize insecurity. Lastly, she chats about what it's like being a stand-in and how, in many ways, it's like attending film school. Ah, gosh, it was so great chatting with Lauren. Hadn't spoke to her in years and was just immediately inundated with some of the past awesome memories that I've had of her. And you're in a treat because she brings up a couple parts of me own background that I rarely so mention and bring on. Had talented performer. Super Lauren proud of her success and that's honored her. on the show. I know you guys are going to love her. Oh, and one more thing, one more thing. This week I had the honor of being a guest on Travel Podcast The World, hosted by my pal Ted Craig. His show is focused on travel and tourism, and he offers amazing stories, great anecdotes, and in-depth conversations. And I can tell you, he was very detailed, very professional, very meticulous in his planning and his questions. And it was certainly a thrill to be on the show. I know I rarely get to my own story on here. So if you want to hear more about some of my personal aspects of traveling, give his show a listen. It also gives a little glimpse behind the scenes of the creation and the production of this own podcast. Ted did an extraordinary job. I bring out some of my own personal feelings I hadn't really thought about. Again, that's Travel Podcast The World, hosted by Ted Craig. And before we bring out Lauren, we're going to play a sample of a great song of hers called Complicate Me. So let's go ahead and bring on talented performer Lauren D. Miranda, and let's learn. Complicate me Make me laugh and make me cry just don't let go tonight Drive me crazy You can spill your heart or mine And 
anything to keep you in my life Cause what's a life when you're alone? Maybe it's overrated And I give it all up to come back When all alone, that's why I love you better now whatever i was before i'm better now oh my gosh it's been so long insane i was thinking about this morning i was like man i am so glad that i have something like this show as a way to talk to you and a way to catch up with people you know because who knows if i might not have reached out to you if not so i'm glad yeah it's so so cool i'm so proud of you well i am so happy to see you so happy to chat my favorite arkansas native and my favorite kyo more importantly my favorite kyo (laughs) oh my gosh it's been a while since i've identified as such (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, my favorite SAE. <laughs> we will forever have that bond. Love it. You're involved in just a lot of different creative projects. So have you always been someone who's interested in creating? Yes. Since I was born, I was um, creating entire storylines in my bedroom as a, like, I don't even know, a very small child. I remember one time, like, getting a backpack out going downstairs, getting like saltine crackers and cans of tuna and like packing up my bag because in my bedroom and a whole entire apocalypse was happening where everyone had died. I was the only survivor. I am like literally just crying sitting on the floor. So yeah, it started young. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, creating, what is the show? Um, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it with all the zombies. Well, how soon after that were you forced to see a psychologist? You know, it it took them a while to figure it out. But, you know, we got in there uh, soon enough. I'm okay now. <laughs> when was it that it, it transitioned from something that was just maybe fun that you kind of enjoyed to, to something that was more serious? They're like, hey, I could have this as a potential career. You know, I think ballet was my first kind of uh, serious entry point into the arts. I was, uh, I started ballet at two and a half years old. And normally that class consists of, you know, pretending to be different zoo animals. But at the time, the teacher who taught that had just left. And the only teacher that was there was the very serious, like Russian trained ballet master. And so she taught the two and a half year olds, like classic technique bar. And I was super into it. I loved it. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I just fell in love with ballet from the get go. And I performed the Nutcracker for 15 years consecutively. And, uh, so I would say, you know, the Nutcracker, we would have, I don't know, we probably had like a 2000 seat venue and we did. I don't know, maybe three weekends uh, in December, uh, Saturdays and Sundays, a couple shows. So, I mean, it was a pretty professional level, you know, even for Arkansas um, performance. So I would say that was my first like foray into storytelling uh, non-verbally. One thing I love about you is just so many different disciplines of art and being creative. Music career, your music career, how would you describe your sound? This one is tough for me. I think as the artist, it's always hard to compare yourself, but I recently just played it for somebody that said, you know, um, that it really reminded her of the aughts, 
it was kind of released a little while ago so that makes sense and uh she'd said like a kelly clarkson meets britney spears which this is why I uh, have a problem with it because I grew up listening to Ben Harper. And so lyrically, that is who I am trying to achieve. So yes, production wise, it's got a very uh, commercial pop sensibility, but like, you know, one of my songs is called How Long and I'm talking about like, you know, how long can we keep on just walking past the homeless person, not doing anything about the situation, reaching out a hand or just like turning your head the other way. So um, I, 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 try to reach for the stars when it comes to lyrical writing but um i fall short maybe it's a mix of ben harper and britney spears because that is a combination yes. that i haven't ever heard <laughs> okay i like it that <laughs> my style is ben harper meets britney spears it's perfect well when it comes to writing those creative lyrics are you lyrically driven first or is it chords what's the creative process like for a song for me i really like it's hard to say every song can be different, but I prefer, I think, to create the music to kind of the idea of the song and then write all the lyrics. Um, I, I like to co-write with musicians who are more proficient at their instruments than I am. I have written um, some songs on the guitar, the piano by myself, but I, I don't consider myself a piano player or guitar player anymore. I, I took piano as a kid and I dabble on the guitar, but I would never profess to be a player. Um, so I, I usually collaborate with someone who's a little bit more proficient and I will, you know, kind of walk them through like what sound I'm looking for. Or I'll kind of guide the progression sometimes. And then once we kind of have the feel or the mood of the song, then I'll sit down and kind of flesh out what all the lyrics are. I might have a melody idea already having written the chord progressions, um, But then, yeah, the lyrics usually are one of the last things for me dance background, singing background, also on screen as an actor. Can you compare the mental performance for getting ready for a song or for a singing performance and getting ready to be as an actor on stage or, or even just performing in ballet? How would you compare the mental preparation? I would say for me, they are very similar. I think coming from the discipline of ballet, practice is a huge thing for me. I like to practice over and over and over to where once I get out there to perform, I'm not thinking about it. It's just muscle memory. It's just kind of coming out and I can emote instead of thinking of, you know, what's the next step? Where's my mark? All those kinds of things. Having said that, of course, you still have to think of all those things in the moment, but you try to push them a little bit to the background. And then um, emotionally, I think it's very similar of, you know, they're all vulnerable. They're all like huge vulnerabilities because I, I don't think I'm Kelly Clarkson as a singer. I know that there's a million singers that could sing what I'm about to sing stronger than I can, but it's my story and it's, it's my experience of it and it's my perception of it. And I'm not asking, you know, the audience to think I'm better than anything they've ever seen or heard. I'm just asking them to participate with me in this moment of like, Hey, have you ever felt that way? And a lot of times I think we've trained audiences, you know, with American idols and all these shows to like, good, bad, like it, don't like it, you know? And so as artists, we kind of know that going out on stage that someone's going to be like, well, I could do that better or, oh, my friend's band, you know? So it, it's, a, it's, it's a hard thing to continuously put yourself out there when you kind of know sometimes the audience is geared in that direction. But I just try to remind myself that like, I'm trying to do it to connect and out of love and out of, you know, for me, when I watch stories, listen to stories in whatever medium, um, they help me in life to not feel so alone or to like empathize with somebody's situation that I've never heard before. Um, so, you know, I try to be a 
of service in that way of like, you know, I just want, I just want to connect with humanity and, um, I don't know, provide outlets for, you know, emotional stress. It's got me perplexed in a way because in every other career, there are quantitative results measure your success, but it's not like that in art. It might be a detriment. If you just finished a movie and you immediately go to, you check your IMDb score, it could be a letdown. So how do you continue to, to persevere through it knowing that opinions are such a big deal, but it also doesn't summarize who you are as a performer. Exactly. You have up and down days, at least, or I, let me, let me rephrase. I have up and down days. I do experience my friends around me experiencing it similarly. Um, you have a day, you know, where you've booked that role and you're on set and you're just on cloud nine. Uh, you walk away just feeling so great and like you're ready to conquer the world and this is going to open so many doors. And then you might go through a spell where you don't get any auditions or you get auditions, but you don't hear back. And it can be deflating. But one of the things I was taught um, that I really love is that the auditions that we get are, are the performance. Somebody's asking us to come show them a performance of this scene. And so I, when I can look at each audition, each opportunity as that, I actually am having a ton of performances that I'm doing. Um, and then it's also just, um, they also talk about it as dating. You, you know, you're, you're looking for the right match and sometimes it's not the right match. You go out on this date and you do this performance and maybe it didn't go your best, but that's just life. Like no one's perfect all the time. And, um, or maybe you did great, but people just didn't connect with you. Um, and that's okay because I am a recovering people pleaser <laughs> and I still have the tendency to do it, but I'm trying very hard to just go into life, not just my performing, but just walk into a door of like, Hey, I'm here to, to give. Um, but also, you know, you got to kind of close the door and not let people dictate to you how you did or, you know, uh, it doesn't matter so much what someone else thought of it. Um, if you can get to that point, I think that's kind of the golden ticket of, you know, I'm proud of what I did. As long as I have practiced, as long as I have put my heart into it, like what else could I do? You know, if someone doesn't like it, they just don't like it. And that's okay. You know, everyone's not going to love the same music or the same movies. There's, there's room for everyone. It sounds like you have an amazing amount of confidence. It makes me think of the Winston Churchill quote, success consists of going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. So that confidence that you have, has that always been like that? Or did you develop it over time? Oh, you're laughing. Okay. You developed it over time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's funny that you think I have confidence because I would say, I, you know, I do, I severely lack confidence okay. almost every time when I walk mm -hmm. into a project, I think, you know, and, and this is very common too. A lot of actors feel what we call imposter syndrome of like, oh, if they just see the cracks, they're going to know, like, I'm not really a professional or I'm not really good at this. I've like, I've tricked someone in the audition to think I could pull off this role. But when I get there, they're going to see that I actually can't. I think that's very common for all of us to feel. And so really it's unfortunately a lot of acting is psychology of like just getting over yourself, getting over all these all the chatter that goes on in your head that will try and inform you not to do something. And if you, I think the ultimate thing that I see is that if you love something, you can, you can just keep going for it because it doesn't, even if no one ever gives you another chance or no one likes what you're doing, if you love it, you just keep doing it because you love it. And if you don't love it, then the rejection's a lot. Like I would say, don't do it. If you don't love it, don't do it. Cause it's, 
it can be kind of painful, you know, you're being really vulnerable. And that's another thing I wish that um, people watching things and listening to things would also be just a little bit more cognizant of, of like, you know, these people are, are trying to be vulnerable and connect with you. And if you don't connect with them, that's fine. But we don't need to cut people down all the time. I see a lot of that on the internet, especially. Um, and that definitely makes our job harder because you're, you know, aware and afraid of that happening to you. And for some people, it might be too much. And there might be artists out there in the world that we never get to hear of because they're so scared to be cut down. But ultimately, I think it's our responsibility to just, you just got to shut it out somehow. But I definitely, I don't feel like I, I'm, I have all these thoughts because I'm constantly listening to other people's podcasts or I'm asking all these questions of people and trying to get the advice of how to keep going because I do. I have, you know, low confidence days and, um, you know, anxiety and fears going into some of this stuff. And it, it is difficult. Um, but I think it's a, a really neat thing that, you know, a lot of artists, some people have the natural confidence, but a lot of artists are being really strong. They're actually going against every instinct in their body to do what they're doing. Well, with the imposter syndrome and maybe elements of insecurity, it almost sounds like it's very important to use that insecurity as the energy maybe to work a little bit harder. Because if you're so worried that people are perceiving this, well, you've weaponized the insecurity in a way. Absolutely. And I think it just then becomes a great, valuable tool for you to you know, it can also become a hindrance if you're over preparing, you're, you know, not sleeping, things like that. But for the most part, if you can use it to fuel your drive and to, you know, um, dig a little deeper into the character or, you know, work a couple more hours that you might have wanted to veg out, like, yeah, you could definitely utilize it to propel you. There's a few things in careers that once you accomplish, it's forever attached to you in sports, mm -hmm. Super Bowl champion, Joe Montana, Academy Award winner. Leonardo DiCaprio. But there's another one recently, and that is Marvel. Mm -hmm. Get Marvel on there, and it can go places with you. So for you, when you think back to your time on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., what are the first memories that come to mind? I mean, there are so many. I did over 100 episodes of that show. Um, I was primarily hired to stand in for Chloe Bennett, who played, our names were Sky, Daisy, Quake. <laughs> we went through an iteration of names. But um, I think of like... My favorite memories are just some of the crazy things we did. Like Lola was the flying car and I had the opportunity to get to get up on a huge, you know, they rigged the car way up in the air on all these green screens and all these fans. They had us flying around, you know, some of that stuff was really cool. But I mean, also it's just like when you work on a show for that long, it becomes like the friendships and the connections you make with everybody. And um, really for me, that was, I, that show was my film school because prior to that I had only been the on the actress side, that was my first kind of crew to get involved with. And so the behind the scenes of the lighting and the camera setups and the, you know, which lenses we're picking and uh, the set deck, even the props, like all of that stuff, I got to see so much more hands on. Um, so I mean, it's just, it's hard to pick all of it. I'm sorry, that's not great. I think it is great. And you mentioned about your own private film school. And can you talk more about how a stand in, in a way, the lens behind all of it. You get to see it in front of the camera, behind the camera, the 20,000 foot view, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're an interesting department because we fall into SAG um, as an actor is who, you know, the group that we're a part of. But when we're hired onto the set, like you ask any stand in who their boss is and you could get like multiple different answers. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we kind of um, deal with the assistant director a lot. We deal with the cinematographer directly. So he, cinematographers really are kind of number one. 
And um, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting perspective because with acting, you know, as an actress, when I'm on camera, I walk away when all that stuff happens. I'm going to do, you know, get into wardrobe and all that stuff. So getting to be on the other side of it, we get to work with every department and we have the time. A setup could take 30 minutes to two hours. So as people are changing the lenses, there's enough time where, okay, we don't have the lens up yet. So we, we're not looking at you on the monitor yet. I can walk over there and ask them like, what is that? How are you doing that? Um, so it, it's a fantastic position from which if you want to garner that information, you can't, you can also totally check out as a stand in. And there are people who do that too, you know, just come stand on your mark, do what you need to do and walk away. Um, but yeah, it's, if you want to, you can make a lot more of it on stage in front of the camera singer. It seems like the natural progression is the way you're headed. And that's into writing. You told me that you're yeah. now venturing to that world. So how have you enjoyed the creative process in being a writer? You know, coming from songwriting, I spend so much time trying to make it poetic. So I found mm -hmm. that in trying to write my first script, I am doing it all wrong. I know I'm not supposed to be doing it this way. I've rewritten the first six pages like four times already. And really, I just need to finish the rest of the screenplay because it's going to get rewritten so many more times once you have it all fleshed out. Um, so I, I'm struggling with letting go of perfection as in every other area of life and, uh, just finishing it. Um, but it's, it's beautiful because especially for what I'm writing, since it's semi-autobiographical, you get to sit in these things that happen in your life and think about, well, what was the other person's perspective and why was I doing that? Or why was I saying that thing? And you get to obviously fictionalize it. You can recreate it however you want. Um, but I find the dialogue being the trickiest for me because I just want to be so authentic to how somebody else would talk, but I'm writing it. So I feel um, nervous to like portray people well, especially since I'm kind of portraying real people as well. So it's, it's an interesting first jaunt into writing, having chosen the autobiographical route. Where do you go when you're looking for creativity? And what do you do when maybe you are having those moments where you, maybe you've plateaued a bit? I, I think for me, I think life is just the best place to get it from, you know, just doing anything, um, talking to a coworker, talking to a family member, even I love watching. Um, so we just have, we have the SAG awards airing tonight. Uh, well at the point that this airs, it won't be tonight, but, um, so I just went through a ton of screeners of all these, you know, award-winning films that we've nominated and I was absolutely taking notes of like, oh, I loved the way this scene worked and this is why. And not to rip things, but to inspire like in my scene that I'm writing, um, that I want to get this mood across, this is why it worked in this scene for me. So just watching other people's content is a great motivator. I won't ask you to pick any winners for any awards. What is one movie that everybody from 2021 that everybody must see? Don't look up. Okay. <laughs> I know that's an easy one. And also Leo is my boy because I have watched him since I was little from what's eating Gilbert grape to basketball diaries is one of my favorite movies. And the way that he portrays other people's life stories, ailments, all those things. It's unbelievable. He did a great job, but the whole cat, I mean, you've got Meryl Streep in it. It's just incredible. And the parallels to what we're going through are yeah. just amazing. And your favorite Leo performance is what? It's got to be Basketball Diaries. That's still, I still claim that as my favorite movie. And it's also one of my log lines of what my film is going to have like a tone of. Departed. So, it's got to be Departed. It's got to be Departed. 
Oh, really? Gotta be departed. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, you can't really go wrong. And Django number two. Django's number two. Mm. <laughs> of course, very difficult last 24 months for the entire planet, but especially in the arts, because there was just a drastic amount of uncertainty. So for you, how'd you handle all the emotional ups and downs and challenges that came in the last 24 months? Not well. Not what? <laughs> not well. No, oh, not well. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was, you know, like, I think a lot of people, there was some um, appreciation of the downtime. So mm -hmm. I, um, I had been taking acting class at a place here in town called Leslie Khan. And um, when the pandemic hit, she had the great forethought to like, just move it to Zoom instead of postponing. So I actually took acting class every week um, through the whole pandemic. So for like the last two year, two and a half years I've been taking with them um, weekly online. And then our community of actors in class, we would meet, you know, two, three times throughout the week on Zoom as well. So it really helped me still feel very connected to my community here in town. And, you know, I even met more people that way because people were joining the class for in on Zoom from New York, from Miami, Chicago. So it was actually, um, that experience was very pleasant. Um, I had so much time because like the industry shut down for quite a few months. Um, there were no productions running in town. And so I took that opportunity also to um, write, create so that, you know, the free time, the downtime uh, was quite nice, but emotionally it was very stressful. Um, my family is in Arkansas. And so I have not um, gone home and visited since the pandemic started. And, that time and distance has been hard as well as, you know, there have been obviously a lot of differing opinions on things and what's safe and what's not. And um, just all that confusion was pretty anxiety inducing. Um, but again, that is what I love about storytelling and what I love about the arts is it's just, for me, one of the best outlets to funnel that stuff into. With all that, what do you think is the biggest life lesson you picked up? Oh, I'm still working on it. <laughs> I think, you know, another, uh, I've, I had the opportunity to read and listen to more podcasts and, um, I have been really, um, enjoying, uh, do you know Glennon Doyle and we can do hard things a little bit? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, just that phrase, even we can do hard things. Her daughter wrote a song called we can do hard things. And I feel like that's almost been a guiding light for me because it's just so beautiful. She says one of her lines is, um, we stopped asking directions to places they've never been. So it was just like, wow, that's so cool. Like, you know, I feel like often I look towards um, figures of authority, uh, whether it be like the actor that I'm standing in for or a director or something. But, you know, honestly, we're all human and everyone feels like they don't know what they're doing. And everyone feels scared and nervous. And we're all just human beings trying to live on this planet and trying to get through all this stuff. And um, I think, you know, I've felt some of the separation that we've all felt, but also I felt some connection. I think um, I'm trying to lean into like, let's steer away from the differences. We're all going to have differences, but let's just lean into our commonality. Most memorable book you read over the last couple of years? Um, Pete Holmes, Comedy Sex God. Wonderful. I don't know it. Have you read it to, I don't know it. I'll add it to okay. me. He is um, an amazing stand-up comedian and it's all about, it's his autobiographical life of coming from a um, very uh, Christian environment where he was planning on going into the pastor route, but he becomes stand-up comedian and the things that he goes through in the life 
questions and, you know, emotional changes is very um, relatable to me. Very cool. I want to uh, ask you some questions. Okay. Are you are you still dancing or singing or <laughs> doing any of these types of physicalities? You're one of the small group of people that knows there's a dance background in my life. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can't remember, were you actually dancing or did you just like, were you taking dance class or were you just like loving dancing because you were in college and just having a good time? Well, I think it's the latter, but however, senior year, I took a few dance classes to boost the GPA, number one, but nice. also just to have a fun uh, last year of, of college. But uh, yeah, yeah, you wanted that. That's a chapter of my life that doesn't ever come back out, ever. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> audience, Randall did an in-sync dance for his fraternity where I, uh, what did we, we like taped glow sticks to your arms and legs and it was at night and they did an in-sync digital get down dance and digital it was amazing <laughs> and i gotta say randall was the best you were the best dancer i think it's my first and last choreography uh, <laughs> but all of you guys actually did really i was really impressed like there was a whole group of guys that you were in a frat with that i was not quite certain how well they were going to pick up these dance moves and i was impressed you guys did good <laughs> We Capture, won, right? Capture Kyle. That's right. Of course we won. So. Yeah. And followed up with, uh, with remember the game show MTV, uh, Say What Karaoke? You guys had that. Oh, we did. Yeah. So I had to, I had to karaoke um, the finale, karaoke, a two life crew song. So Nice. I don't know why. I was real focused on the choreography. So yeah, yeah. Well, I forgot yeah. about the rest of it. It's hard. That, you know, even the day, the next day, it would have been hard to remember everything that happened that night. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One sentence to describe your time at Arizona State University. <laughs> Did you say one sentence? One sentence. Oh gosh. Crazed, fun, delusions of grandeur. Ooh, I like the end there. What was your major? <laughs> I went through a few. I ended with a degree in interdisciplinary studies, oh, which was no, like a double no, major. No, it's not a double yeah. major. No, it's not. It's called, it was called BIS, which, you know what BIS stands for? Barely in school. That's what that stood for. Well, there you go. So <laughs> I started as a dance major. I had a dance yeah. scholarship. I transferred to anthropology, uh, philosophy, <laughs> psychology, and ended with political science and international business with a minor in dance and Southeast Asian studies that, okay. So it's, it's when an artist is going to school and they need the fallback degree, but they really don't know anything else they want to do. But I was like, I don't need a piece of paper to say that I can dance or act. Like no one's going to hire me for my college degree of acting. So like I took the acting classes, I took the dance classes, but I was like, ultimately this is going to be if I need a job in something else. So what else could I possibly be somewhat interested in doing. So I went through the gamut and somehow ended with political science and international business. With the Southeast yeah. Indigenous perspective, in incredible. And the anthropology yeah. one surprised yeah. me the most was the anthropology. Oh yeah, I loved anthropology, but I was ultimately like, what job am I gonna do with anthropology? So no. I, I, you know, it was like a freshman year switch of like, I was like, yes, anthropology. And I was like, no, that's not gonna be a good backup plan. I gotta try something else. Philosophy, I'm like, no, what am I gonna do with that? <laughs> It is absurd making a 17-year-old pick the rest of their life based on a major. We didn't know what we were doing. We changed majors all the time. We had no clue. Uh-huh. 
the best thing, and I would recommend this to any college student, if you know, if you're still talking to them, I worked at the um, uh, alumni association where you'd call alumni and ask them for money. I was one of those people that would call you and be like, you want to donate back to Arizona State? But what was so cool about it is they gave us a script of like, you know, talk to them, engage them. Like, what did you, what did you get your degree in? Like, tell them that you're a freshman and you're like trying to figure out your path. And like, one of the things that they wanted us to input in the system was, were they doing a job that was consistent with their degree? And that was the best thing to learn as a freshman that like, all these people is like, well, I was going to be an English teacher, but now I work for like a, I'm a pharmaceutical rep or like I was going to be a pharmaceutical rep, but now I'm like, I don't know, uh, a manager of a restaurant or, you know, like whatever it was, it was, it was such great information learning from the alumni, how real life worked out for them post-graduation. So definitely alumni association. Interesting. You're the people who I've been hanging up on for the last 10, 15 years. I know. So then when they finally called me, I was like, okay, I'll give you some I'll listen. Money. I'll listen. I know how this goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to your friendly alumni associate that calls you. They're just freshmen trying to work <laughs> for the school and make a little money. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to seeing what's next. And I'm looking forward to you finishing the script. And I think there's maybe, you know, a, I can get like a one line somewhere, put a character based on me, like one Ooh, line. On the new script, okay. Okay. Look, Looking forward to that. What else is coming up? What else can we look forward to for 2022? And how can people stay up to date and follow your journey? Awesome. Um, well, my music that is um, out is called New Life. And it's available on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere that you download or stream your music. Um, if you want to do a TikTok of New Life, of how you're starting your new life, that would be a great way. Um, I uh, just recently finished... Um, standing in on the book of Boba Fett, which has just finished airing. So while you don't see my face on camera of that, definitely go check out uh, Disney's The Book of Boba Fett. And um, I'm currently working on a project that's very NDA'd. Um, but uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram or anywhere, you know, wherever you're at, Lauren D. Miranda. And uh, I, you know, I don't post a ton of personal stuff, but I try to keep it up to date when I'm doing something uh, business-wise. So yeah. Brilliant. This is awesome. This is, I'm going to find some pictures and I'm going to send you. I, I've got one of me and you from, from the philanthropy that oh I think is, I'm wearing a backwards awesome. visor. I have a backwards visor on. So you can totally tell what the era it was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you still have um, some blonde tips happening? I'm going through a hair identity crisis at the moment and mm. you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I haven't cut my hair in three years. Oh, nice. So I'm, I'm in the man bun world now. But I don't know what I'm doing. I need advice. I need help. Oh, I, I love it. I don't know quite what I'm doing. but I love it. You do. <laughs> this is the look, and it works. It's just hair, right? I think you go through all my eras in life, and I've had different hair at all times. So I might bring back frosted tips, I think, because no one does it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, style is a cycle, and we're kind of getting back to that era. Where it's, a, you know, Olivia Rodrigo. She's like a 90s, 80s. Everybody's 90s. You know, it's Everybody's. Great. I was at the mall for the first time, like, yeah. years, and you just see, like, it's all, it just looks like a Nirvana music video. Everything is just kind of drab colors, baggy. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. <sighs> but yeah, you're right. The cyclical, the cyclical thing will be the next stop will be the TRL bubblegum pop kind of era. So, cross the tip. Yeah. And, and we're in, baby. <laughs> 
I want to talk to you again in 2022, uh, whether it be another interview or somewhere in California, or just I want to make it a point to say hello to you again. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for thinking of me and wanting to include me in this. I appreciate it. And I'm really impressed with what you're doing. Proud of you. Glad to know you. Proud of you. Proud that I know you as well. And I'm excited to see what you have next. I know we could talk forever, but I'll I'll let you go. Um, Yeah. Wonderful. wonderful. So good seeing you. Made my my day, made my month, making my year. Yay. Awesome. (laughs) All right. All my best. All right. Thank you, Lauren. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Lauren. Wasn't she fantastic? Give her a follow on Instagram, Lauren D. Miranda, or visit laurendmiranda.com. And don't forget to give a listen to the newest episode of Travel Podcast, The World, hosted by Ted Craig. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. <laughs>